This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Registered Investment Advisor Podcast, where financial services marketing expert Seth Green interviews experts, executives, and top producers to share can't-miss tips on how they successfully manage their financial service firms, grow their businesses, create great relationships, and influence the industry. And now, here's your host, Seth Green. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be joined by Nelson Chu from Percent.com, where you can easily find, compare, and invest in exclusive private credit deals, diversify and grow your portfolio with as much as 20% annual percentage yield or more from inflation and recession-resilient assets since 2018. Thousands of investors have trusted Percent as their source for private credit investing. Nelson, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. And that was a wonderful intro. Well, thank you very much. It is our pleasure. Let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Yeah, absolutely. We created Percent because we thought there was actually an interesting opportunity out here and a gap in the market for investors, right? So investors back in like 2017, 2018 had a variety of different options to invest in alternatives, whether it was uh, different types of fund vehicles, could be real estate, could be a little bit of private credit. But the difference was we didn't feel it was very investor friendly, right? So what I mean by that was the durations were super long. And so you had to actually lock up your money for four to five years, which is actually a really long time. Uh, the minimums are super high. So we're talking like $25,000, $30,000 minimums, which is a lot to commit to if you don't really know the company and you're going to lock it up for that long. And the durations and the, the yield was actually about the same, right? So everything was yielding in like the 9 to 16% range, pre-Fed interest rate hikes, obviously. And so we felt uh, the reality was if you can create a platform that had shorter duration investments, call it, you know, sub nine months, sometimes sub six months, lower minimums, make it more approachable, like 500 bucks. And the yield was the same as everybody else's. You could create a, create a pretty compelling platform uh, that people would be interested in that actually is much more incentively aligned with them and what they were looking for as an investor. That makes a lot of sense. So how did percent get build, built out? Yeah, it was. It's always that almost like a step ladder, right? So there's a point in time when we first got started where there's definitely a lot of uh, borrowers looking for debt capital and then not enough investors. And then you reach a point where there's a bunch of investors because you do a really good job. People are excited. And you don't have enough borrowers and it kind of keeps growing, growing, growing. And so we've done a great job over the last few years in meeting that supply and demand. And with this change in the company, specifically in this year, January, where we actually stopped uh, underwriting the deals ourselves and opening up our software to all these different banks and credit funds, et cetera, to be able to syndicate and market their deals to our investors, that's changed dynamics substantially. And so now we have no shortage of borrowers who need debt capital, underwriters who want to do the work, and investors who want to invest in it and earn a return and a healthy return in this environment in particular. I, I would imagine it opened up, caused you some geometric growth. Um, how do you manage that process? Yeah, that's been uh, four years in the making, right? At this point, it's we spent a lot of time trying to build the foundation to make all of this work. So that means standardized uh, legal documentation, standardized deal structures, standardized asset performance reporting. And so the four years that we underwrote everything ourselves, 
you can call it almost like a learning exercise and you know, figure out what to do, how to do these deals at scale and investing the time, the money and the resources to really be as efficient as possible, knowing that when we open the floodgates, we'll be ready to handle everything. And it's grown very, very quickly this year. We have 10 underwriters on the platform since we started doing this in January. They've done over 30 deals with us already. It's been a very, very rapid flip. And we're very excited about what the next few months will bring. Awesome. Let's dive in. Let's unpack all of that a little bit. So when let's, let's do a vocabulary lesson. When you say underwriter, who is an underwriter and what do they do on your platform? Because obviously that's different from, let's say, a life insurance underwriting department. Not too dissimilar per se. Underwriting is still underwriting. Uh, but I would say in the traditional, maybe like rewind a couple of years back, even before us, there was the concept of peer-to-peer lending, right? So you had the ability to invest in a pool of loans by specific people. And that's fine-ish. Didn't really work out great for everybody, but it was fine and it was okay. Uh, the reality is in the institutional markets, there's almost always an underwriter who slots in the middle. That could be a sell side shop, like a bank, right? Like a JP Morgan, City, Morgan Stanley, et cetera. Those are the banks that are responsible for taking a borrower or an issuer who is looking for debt capital, creating a structure that makes it investor friendly, whether it's for an institutional investor at that level or for a retail investor like you and I, and then ultimately being the one to be able to kind of shepherd the whole thing through the process. And it is a very, very necessary required function in capital markets that I think oftentimes goes a little bit underrated, if you will. Uh, so you have sell side shops who do that and your banks. You also have buy side shops. So the people who are asset managers, who are credit funds, et cetera, oftentimes they will be interested in investing in, uh, in private credit and investing in a specific borrower, but they don't want to take the entire thing. They may take, you know, call it, 20 million out of a $30 million position and want to market out the other $10 million. And so you have instances where they will also market out their positions and help close the deal in its entirety. And they're considered underwriters as well. So similar to a life insurance underwriter, they are definitely vetting for you know uh, risk and quality and all those things and putting structures in place. These underwriters do the same thing just for credit specifically and fixed income. That makes a lot of sense. And then who are... Um, so I'm an investor. I want to buy someone else's loan. I want to loan them the money. Who are the borrower? Who are your, who's your average borrower? Yeah. So private credit is a pretty interesting asset class. It's one that I think people didn't really realize how much it touches the global economy until very recently. Uh, but think of all these things that are essentially non-bank lending, right? So pre-global financial crisis, all the banks did a lot of small business lending, of consumer lending, things like that. And then post-crisis, they made it very expensive to be able to actually do that. The regulators did. And so you had this wave of non-bank lenders coming into play. And so these non-bank lenders are going to be like your buy now, pay laters, like your firms, or even SoFi when they were private, social finance for student loans, that was also a private credit type company, right? So you have various different uh, types of non-bank lenders who play the role of um, a borrower in private credit because they're not a bank. They don't have a balance sheet. They have to raise money from somewhere to do those, those loans for themselves and to their borrowers. So that's one side of private credit, and that's considered asset-backed securization, right? So you actually take a pool of these loans from these, these borrowers who have a portfolio, and you essentially create a structure where the cash flows go back to the investors who invest in it on a, call it monthly, weekly, whatever it may be, basis. The other side of private credit is considered corporate debt. And so that is single loans to single companies effectively. And you're betting on either the EBITDA of the company because it's cash flow positive, or you're betting on a venture-backed company to be able to get to their next stage of growth, one or the other. But you have so ABS on one side with portfolios of loans and corporate debt on the other side with a single loan to a single company. So if 
are there any rules or minimums? Let's say if one of our listeners said, hey, I want to borrow some money. Perhaps these are more attractive interest rates and I could get a line of credit at the bank. Is that even feasible? So I'll be the first to say that a line of credit at the bank will always be cheaper than private credit, <laughs> inevitably, uh, because a bank has a balance sheet, right? So their spread they need to make in order to turn a profit on each transaction is much lower than a cri- private credit uh, lender who needs to actually hit a certain minimum effectively to make it worth their while, right? So it's always going to be more uh, cost effective to be do it at a bank. But banks don't do that much lending anymore in that space. So it'll be hard to get ultimately. Uh, but there is a lot of criteria, right? So for example, on the ABS side, the asset back side, you have to have been in business for a little bit because we need to see a track record of performance. Ultimately, that's the most important thing. And we need to be able to model out using our technology, sort of what the expected performance is going to be over the next six, nine, 12 months, however it may be for the duration of the note that's being offered to investors. And so we have a 52 step and 52 uh attribute deal criteria that we need to go through to make sure we fully understand the performance of the borrower. So any run-of-the-mill borrower, I'd say probably would be a little bit challenged to kind of raise money in private credit. There's a very, very high bar. But at the same time, you'd want that because investors are putting their own money into it to kind of see if it can get a return in this environment. And you've been doing this for a decent length of time. Has it been long enough for any of your loans to come to fruition and get like paid back? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've done over 430 different notes at this point, something like that, over the course of five years, uh, done over a billion three uh, at this stage as well. And so really, really exciting uh, in terms of the journey that it took to get here. At the same time, uh, because the products that we offer were, what I mentioned earlier, very investor-friendly in sense of duration is very short, right? We did have a lot of stuff that returned in one month, in two months, in three months, et cetera. And so even though there's no secondary market, even though there is no trading on these instruments, uh, there is almost like inherent liquidity from the fact that these notes turn over very quickly for the investors. I'm sure you track it. Do you have any percentages that you're able to share in terms of like, we have a 98% repayment rate or something like that? Is there any default risk? Yeah, no. So private credit, look, full transparency, right? This is for credit investors uh, only and above. Uh, and there is default risk. That's inevitable in private markets. You really can't avoid that. But we've kept our default rates under 2% effectively. Wow. So on a billion two, a billion three, that's that's not bad in the grand scheme of things. I will take it's that really all day, good. every day. Yeah. Uh, and we're very proud of that fact. Um, and even in the instances where there were defaults, especially like in recent cases, because we've learned so much along the way of how to do these types of transactions, how to build structure that protects investors, both of those two most recent ones are paying back exactly as the way we should. And so those should hopefully get to about 100% recovery. We're working on it, uh, but they've already paid back material amounts so far. And that's a proof and a testament to the fact that we've learned a lot and iterated along the way to get to where we are today. Absolutely. How are you over a billion plus on the platform? How are you attracting investors to the platform? Through talks like this, obviously, Uh, that's a good starting point. Uh, But no, honestly, it's been an interesting time because I think uh, private credit really wasn't in the spotlight for a very long time, even when we first started the company. But I was always thinking to myself, at some point in this company's life, there will be a moment for private credit. It'll come. I'm not sure when, but it will. And right now, it's definitely having its moment in the spotlight. It's done very, very well uh, this year. And you're seeing a lot of investor interest in it as well. And that's made for a very interesting opportunity for investors to capitalize upon it. So all the different mechanisms from regular usual acquisition processes, uh, using paid acquisition like Google and things like that, those are working very well. Doing podcasts does very well as well. Uh, And we're at the stage now where it's happening very organically too, uh, where there's a lot of interest in what we're 
building uh, because people are looking for a yield and better risk-adjusted returns, returns in this environment. And you can really only get it in private credit today. What is, I mean, you've achieved so much success. What's your biggest challenge? Uh, I think that whole step ladder we were talking about earlier, getting uh, demand to meet supply, that's a constant, constant challenge, the battle every single time. You're seeing it evolve and adjust and change with the macro sentiments as well. I will say during peak COVID, there was zero interest in private credit. That is for sure. Uh, we had a bunch of investors who oftentimes got margin called uh, by their brokerage accounts as they pulled out cash where they could. And then you had instances during uh, the post-COVID or you know when they it, return back to a little bit more to normal, uh, a lot of interest. And then it, it whittled away again in the high rate environment. And now it's coming back in droves. And so we're seeing just a lot of uh, demand. And I think it's just navigating it day by day, basically, and adapting to what the market's looking for. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you're doing? Honestly, it's every single day is different. Uh, I think that part always excites me. I've been an entrepreneur and on my own with a quasi unsteady paycheck for oh, like 12, 13 years now at this point. Uh, but, you know, I think that part's always exciting. They're building a team uh, and ultimately, I think really making a difference. That's really what we're looking for, right? At the end of the day, uh, we have the opportunity to fundamentally transform what is a multi-trillion dollar market for the better because everything they're doing today is Excel, phone calls and emails. And so with the technology that we've built, the infrastructure that we've created, we have a huge opportunity to really bring this uh, asset class to the next generation, to the next level that no one's been able to do before. So that motivates me every single morning. And that's our bigger mission uh, to really kind of bring um, the public market style execution and efficiency to private markets. That is awesome. We know your time is incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some of it with us. For our folks watching or listening who want to learn more, where is the best place for them to go? Really easy. We're just percent.com and our uh, customer success team will be happy to help you, onboard you. If you have any questions, it's just hello at percent.com or you can chat us in the little chat bot on the right uh, top bottom right-hand corner. All right. Well, this has been Seth Green with Nelson Chu from percent.com. Nelson, thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was great chatting with you. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. We'll talk to you or see you next time. 49 faces look to him in triumph. Over the last 12 months, they had each taken turns and promoted his business for a week at a time, driving over $987,342 in revenue. What if you had a network of 50 centers of influence who promoted your business every week for a year? Grab your copy of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Business with a Podcast, at 33% off the Amazon price by going to ultimatepodcastbook.com. Again, that website for 33% off the Amazon price is ultimatepodcastbook.com.